0: Good morning. Let's go ahead and begin class with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and study. We ask that your spirit will join us, fill our hearts with your love and truth, and transform us to be like you. I pray that you will be with members of our class who are traveling this week, that you will watch over, keep them safe, bless the families represented here, and and draw us closer to you that we can see you coming soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing lesson um, number one in a new study guide. Entitled Revival and Reformation And the title this week is Revival, Our Great Need When you hear the word revival What does it comes to mind? What does it mean? Revival I think it's
1: tense
2: Tense. Say that again Tense
0: Oh, tense Okay I was thinking I thought you were saying T-E-N-S-E Tense He gets tense And he was saying T-E-N-T-S Tense Okay, so as in, like, camp meetings and, and revival meetings and those types of things. I gotcha. Okay. Both appropriate. Both appropriate, he says. Okay. I looked up the dictionary, and the dictionary definition of revi- revival is, um, one, an act or instance of reviving, the state of being revived as, A, renewed attention or interest in something, a new presentation or a publication of something old, a periodic renewed religious interest, and, to Wendell's comment, an often highly emotional evangelistic meeting or series of meetings. (laughs) And then the the second definition is restoration of force, validity, or effect as as to a contract. To revive a contract, I guess. Um, But then... If you look in Friday's lesson for this week, the, the first, yes?
3: Restoration to the health of
0: life. Well, you know, that wasn't in the diction. No, it wasn't in the dictionary. So, so you look on Friday's lesson for this week, first paragraph, it says the following. A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from the spiritual death. Reformation signifies a reorganization, a change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruits of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the Spirit. Revival and reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work they must blend. What do you think about this definition? I think it's going where you were going, Russell. That this is somehow reviving, bringing life to, regenerating, invigorating, revigorating even. Which definition do you like better, the dictionary or the one in in the lesson? The one in the lesson. I do too. I do too.
1: Returning from the spiritual dead.
0: Returning from the spiritual dead. Yeah. And what would that look like? Just a
1: complete reformation. Amongst
0: the believers. Do you agree that Reformation and revival must blend together? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yes. Did you notice how Reformation excuse me, revival was connected with the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit. What do you believe is necessary for revival and reformation? besides the working of the Holy Spirit? Is there anything necessary besides that? Just leave it to the Holy Spirit and it'll happen.
1: Receptive hearts.
0: Okay, so is there something we can do? Something we need to do? She says receptive hearts. Other, other. I mean, I agree. There's no question about that. Other things? An open mind. An open mind. Oh, I like that. Receptive heart, open mind, very similar. Okay, very similar. Receptive heart, to me, is a little bit more towards... A longing and a desire, an open mind is a willingness to consider ideas that you haven't considered. But they're very similar. Both openness, cooperation. I was reading in a book called Conflict and Courage. Uh, the following. This is page one forty-five. Samuel visited the cities and villages throughout the land, seeking to turn the hearts of the people to God, uh, to the God of their fathers, and his efforts were not without good results. After. Suffering the oppression of their enemies for 20 years, the Israelites mourned after the Lord. Samuel counseled them, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, receptive hearts, then put away the strange gods and astrath from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. Here we see the pra- that practical piety, heart religion was taught in the days of Samuel, as taught by Christ when he was upon the earth. Without the grace of Christ... The outward forms of religion were valueless to ancient Israel. Do you hear that? Without the grace of Christ, outward religion is valueless. They are the same with modern Israel. That doesn't, I, I doesn't refer to a state in in the Middle East. That refers metaphorically this way of referring to the church. There is need today of such a revival of true heart religion as was experienced by ancient Israel. Repentance is the first step that must take place by all who would return to God. Repentance is the first step. What is repentance? Do you, first off, do you agree? Repentance is the first step. What is it? What is repentance? Tur-
3: changing your way back.
0: Turning around, changing your way back. Other thoughts on that?
3: Well, what leads us to repentance? the uh, first paw, paw, paw,
0: There's a scripture that you may have in mind. Does anybody know what he's referring to? Kindness the of kindness, of kindness of God. Exactly, Romans 2.4. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. So that's when we have revival meetings. We often talk about beasts and threats and eternal torment and and if you and how many have been at a revival meeting and said where they've had that call and at the call they say, no, there's someone here today that hasn't accepted Christ. And I don't want you to leave this, this building, because if you do and you get in that car wreck, you're going to, you know, go to the bad place. Is that bringing out the kindness? No. The is that the fear-based motive?
3: The other kind of tense.
0: Yeah, the other kind of tense, yes, tense. Yes, I've seen this. I've actually seen it with my own eyes, where a, a, a call is given, just generally, hey, if you've never given your, if you love the Lord, you let like to come, come on forward. And one or two people at an audience comes, and then I've seen the, the pastor turn to, to the, the fear, but if you don't turn them, then you could burn. This is your last chance. If you should die today, inciting and, and the fear, and 30 people come forward. And the pastors then think, "See? It's fear that brings people to Christ. I've witnessed this with my own eyes. Have you witnessed it? Yes
1: Yes. It's, it's fear that just brings people to the front, not
0: necessarily to Christ. Ah, well said. Did you hear what she said? Fear brings people to the front. It doesn't bring them to Christ. As we incite fear, it actually closes the heart to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The more we make people afraid of God, the more we do the devil's work. I should write that down. (laughs) Do we have a desire in our hearts for true transformation? Or is it an understanding in our heads while our hearts cling and desire the things of the world? Religion, think about much, what much of religion does. Much of religion gives people a sense of security while they continue to live in the lifestyle they've always lived. Doesn't it? Think about you know the, the, the historic religions of the world. You bring your offering to the, to the altar and you sacrifice it. You make your, your, uh, uh your, your payment or whatever it is you're doing. And, and then you go off and do the things you're going to do. Or traditionally, you go to church on Saturday or you go to church on Sunday, whichever ch- day you go. You do your weekly, you do your quarterly, uh, communion or whatever it is. You, you take care of the rituals and you've taken care of business. Now you, I can tell you as a, as a mental health professional, there are many mental health professionals that, uh, will we'll suggest that they're Christian. But I've talked to a lot of them and asked, how do you bring that into your practice? And there's a good number out there that don't. It's They're Christian on the weekends, and in the office, it's standard, traditional, agnostic, atheistic practices. Do we bring... Is God and his methods, are God and his methods, something that is actually applicable to our life today? Or is it theoretical knowledge, future pines, heavenly life insurance policy? You know, when you take out a life insurance policy, you pay that premium every year if you've got one, especially if it's a term life insurance policy, all right? You gain nothing. You're just paying that premium for that future insurance. Is, is church attendance and tithe paying life insurance for eternity? doesn't really do anything for us now. It's, it's paying up our, our assurance so when we die, we've got the, the good place to go to. That's peace of mind. Peace of mind.
3: Which is important, I think, to today. What God gives us is peace of
0: mind. You know this quote from, from Conflict of Courage. It says, when we have done all we can do... Oh, I actually did, I stopped. I didn't read that last sentence. Let me read it. I stop and it says repentance is the first step. Let me keep going. No one can do this work for another. We must individually humble our souls before God and put away our idols. When we have done all that we can do, the Lord will manifest to us his salvation. When we have done all that we can. This could be turned into a works. Could be. But can it be understood in a different way? When we have done all that we can do, what is all that we can do? I thought about this, and here's what I came up with: When we have done all that we can do, the Lord, when we what is all, when we choose to open the heart to Christ, th- that's us. We're going to read in a passage here in a little while from from today's lesson. I think it's the memory verse. Yeah, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and, and dine with him and him with me. Who op- who chooses to open that door? Do you get that communion, that fellowship, that dining with the Lord if you don't open the door? Is that yours to do?
1: Yes.
0: See? Now, that's not a work of salvation. A lot of people go, oh, well, you're making salvation all no, works. I would encourage you to look at it this way. Metaphorically, look at somebody who's got an illness. Uh, say they're infected with an infection, and there's an antibiotic that will cure them. Did the person who benefits from taking the antibiotic, did they work to create the antibiotic? They didn't develop it. They didn't create it. They don't even maybe understand it. But is it still their responsibility to partake of it? In partaking of the antibiotic, does the antibiotic do something in them that they can't do for themselves? Yes. This is the plan of salvation. We have to choose to partake. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, metaphorically, partake of me. Unless you partake of me. You can't be saved you can't be healed transformed but that work that the Holy Spirit does within us is not the work we are doing for ourselves and so one of the tricks the devil has has played on people is suggest on the one hand that you can do it all yourself just work real hard and you'll make yourself good and we all see that as a fraud on the other hand is you don't have anything to do there's nothing you have to do at all but you do you have to choose you have to make the right choice in who you trust and who you surrender to. Yes?
1: Well, there may be another form of doing that is helpful, and that is, like, if I want to lose weight, will I fill my refrigerator with, with uh, ice cream? You know, if I want to get off of drugs, will I fill my friendships with drug-using people? Mm-hmm. You know, there, what you were talking about earlier was they were going around putting away their idols. There is that to do. If, if you know something is a weakness or a temptation, Part of what you can do to help the process is to remove, as far as you can, the temptation that, that clings on to your habitual way of living.
0: So I had a patient praying for healthy lungs while she smoked two packs a day.
1: <clears throat>
0: Will God send an angel to snatch the cigarette from her mouth? No, that's the point. She has to choose to lay them down. God won't make that choice for her. We have that freedom. And so we, we can choose to open the heart to Christ, choose to reach out to, in longing to him, reach out to him for help. How many when you're hurt, when you're, when you're down, when you're frustrated, when you're discouraged, when you're desperate, reach out for something other than Christ? Reach out sometimes the addict for their addiction. Reach out for the, the friend that's really not the friend. Even reach out to a human that does love you and does care about you. But does the human who does love you and care about you have the resources of Christ? So we could choose to reach out to Christ, can't we? Isn't that a choice? Yeah. How about choose to apply to our lives what he reveals is necessary for our circumstance? Does God just speak from on high, and impose a transformation upon a a, a human being? Or does God lead, and we are to follow? He leads, and we are to follow. Willfully, volitionally. Uh, He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. What's a yoke do, functionally? It links you together, where there is a cooperative effort now transpiring, where you pull the burden together. And there's a work for us to link our will with the will of God. This is a work for us to do. We don't heal ourselves. Choose to surrender, choose to repent. What? And what is another word for salvation? In that sentence it said, when we do all that we can do, the Lord will manifest unto us his salvation. What's another word for salvation? Healing. Healing. You know, the, the root for salvation Save, salvo, salvage, salutation. You know, that, the root there means a, a salute. Historically, the root for a salute is be in good health. It's giving a salutation, meaning wishing of good health towards someone. And salvation comes from the root salve, like an eye salve. It means to, to heal. It's like a medicinal, to heal. And so the plan of salvation is literally, it's not a metaphor. And this is, I want to disabuse some people because we get criticized in this class because we teach a plan of healing and we're criticized as eliminating all the metaphors because the Bible is rich in many metaphors and it is. It has many metaphors. The critics of our view, though, take the plan of healing, the plan of restoration, and suggest it's a metaphor. No, all the other metaphors point to a eternal reality that God's plan of salvation is the plan of regeneration, salvation, healing, recreation, renewal, rebuilding, putting us back the way God intended man to be. That's not metaphor. That's the universal reality toward which the the, the cosmic interests are, 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 are developing over time. That's where the Godhead is, is taking his universe back to a perfect unity where all will be at one with him again. That's healing. And so when, when, when others come and say, well, you guys, you know, you've, you've, got, you've got this healing metaphor but you ignore all these other... No, we don't. We interpret all the other metaphors because metaphor needs to be interpreted to the... Objective reality that they point toward a healing and restoration. So that's what salvation means. So, what prevents us from experiencing revival? We're talking about revival, we want that that spiritual life. We want to to be healed. We want to be renewed. We want to grow in godliness. What obstructs it? What prevents it? Yes,
3: I call it the step of faith, where if you. If you believe in something, you take the first step, and then God will then give you what you need to keep you going. Sort of like the way Joshua stepped into the, the River Jordan and then calmed the river or Dead sea, the Red Sea got parted. First they had to step. They had to come to that point.
0: Yeah, I don't, you heard what y'all saying? There, there was a song that used to, a, a song I, I heard one time, on on this line, uh, by a, a Christian group named Petra. I don't know if anybody ever heard Petra, but it's, um, let's see, the, this, the waters don't part until your feet get wet, was this line in the song, and if you remember the idea when they carried the ark, Israel would carry the ark, it was when they stepped their feet in the water, the waters would part for them to go through, so there's this idea that you're suggesting that we have to step out with our confidence in the Lord and put into action what he's called us to do, and then the waters, the problems part for us, yes? Um,
1: can you go back to and not he who hears my voice and opens the door if we don't know him if we don't know his voice we're not going to open the door
0: ah know it. come back to know and then john 73 says, life eternal i might know you yes wendell
3: if we, if we truly fear god in the wrong sense then we won't trust him
1: to do anything we're, we're afraid of what may happen
0: absolutely absolutely so I was reading in a uh, book written more than a hundred years ago called Councils to the Church. And, and here, listen to these insights. It says, I was instructed to say to our people, let us follow Christ. Do not forget that he is to be our pattern in all things. We agree with that so far. Christ, our pattern in all things. Listen to this. We may safely discard those ideas that are not found in his teaching. Amen. that uh, That's brilliant. Brilliant, and I put in. Uh, yeah, I, 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 we. I appeal to our ministers to be sure that their feet are placed on the platform of eternal truth. Did Christ reveal eternal truth? And what did His eternal truth do when it came face to face with tradition in religious form? Was there a, was there a tension there? Yeah, remember He healed on Sabbath. And they wanted to stone him because he was showing eternal truth that God's law is the law of love, which life is built upon. It's always healing, always restorative, always regenerative, always uplifting. They had a, a, an imposed construct of rules that you must keep, and he's breaking the rules. Therefore, he should be punished. We should inflict punishment upon him. What page is
1: that? 326.
0: So we may safely discard those ideas that are not found in his teachings and put our our, our feet on the platform of eternal truth, not some human theory that popped up in the last 500 to 1,000 years. And that's the predominant view that is taught within Christianity. Regardless of denomination, it's only 500 to 1,000 years old. It's not eternal. Beware how you follow impulse, calling it the Holy Spirit. The enemy is seeking to divert the minds of our brethren and sisters from the work of preparing a people to stand in these last days. His sophistries are designed to lead minds away from the perils and duties of the hour. And so I, I, I bulleted down from this from this uh, two paragraphs that things that obstruct true revival, holding to beliefs that are not found in Jesus' teaching. You should take your beliefs and say, Can I find Jesus taught this? If Jesus didn't teach this, there may be a problem with what I'm I'm holding to, and that may be obstructing my revival. Claiming theories and ideas based on human constructs of justice and law and government rather than eternal truth, rather than seeing God's government as the eternal government of the designer, the creator, we in fact create an idea based on the way humans govern, and we take human standards and project them into heaven and then create a heavenly uh, a, a government based off the human uh, model. Substituting impulse and emotions for the working of the Holy Spirit. And then allowing our minds to be diverted by sophistries away from duties to the Lord. And so let's go through some examples of these. Holding to beliefs that are not found in Jesus' teachings. Now, the most obvious, and I'm not going to spend time on it because we do it all, every week, was just that the penal legal theories um, and, and legal payments are necessary. Jesus never taught that. But how about rule-keeping is more important than people. So we chastise the divorcee who is being physically, has been physically abused by her husband because he didn't commit the physical act of adultery for divorcing her husband. You broke the rule. You should have stayed and let him beat you every day. Not holding to eternal truths. Making God out to be the source of inflicted death rather than the source of life. You'll never find in Scripture that God is the source of death. God is the source of life. Substituting impulse and emotion for the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, I think one example stands out from Scripture. Moses striking the rock. It's an impulsive act rather than moving the spirit. Allowing our minds to be diverted from sophistry, away, uh, by sophistry away from duty of the Lord. How about pursuing political solutions to achieve God's kingdom? Get the right judges, senators, congressmen, president-elected to get the laws passed that we believe are necessary to advance our religious agenda rather than seeking to lead people to the knowledge of God and the kingdom of love. The mission of the church, if you look at, the, at Christ and the apostles and look at scripture, they never sought to get a new senator elected to Rome. They never sought to get the right governor put in at Palestine. They never sought to get a new king uh, appointed in, in Israel. They sought to change hearts and minds, to reveal the truth about God, to transform. And when they did, when the when the message spread to enough hearts, the world changed. What it became political? It did become political by... The, the movements of the Holy Spirit or by a, relig- a political leader named Constantine? Yes, he saw the popular growth. He saw, wow, we've got a lot of Christians in my kingdom now. I better get on board with this. I'm going to lose popularity. And then, of course, what happened? Christianity became corrupted. So what are the keys to revival? Humble heart, we've already said. Repentance, we've already said. Giving up known activities that are destructive, I put known activities that incite fear and selfishness. Studying God, his methods, his design for life, which are found in in his word, nature, and our experience, that that three parts. Using Christ as the lens, the touchstone that we, we compare our theories with. Understanding God's law as the law of love, the design protocol for life. Choosing, this is a big one, choosing to apply God's principles to your life. And what is it that hinders us from doing that? Generally, we don't trust Him to do it. We're afraid. It's fear that holds us back. We may have some duty. We may have some, some idea of what's necessary, but, but we're afraid of the consequence. If we do, will we be laughed at? Will we lose our job? Will we get in trouble? Will, will, will people think we're naive to whatever the duty is? It's usually fear. We don't trust God with the outcome. So trusting God with the outcomes. Uh, what was said earlier, I've got it on my list. Be open. Have an open mind. Open to new ideas and truth. And then give of ourselves. Volunteer. Help other people. If you've ever gone on mission trips, uh, worked in your community, help someone in need. Have you, have you felt the transforming power on you as you've worked to help somebody else? Have you felt the, 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 the renewal of, of grace and kindness in your heart as you've helped someone else? Any suggestions of what our ministry can do to help with revival and reformation.
1: It's a personal work.
0: It's a personal work. It absolutely is.
1: Well, it kind but of challenges people's assumed beliefs or beliefs they were brought up with and never really thought about. It, makes, it challenges people to reconsider.
0: But faith comes by
1: hearing.
0: Hearing. So we can do a work of spreading knowledge and ideas that people might not have heard that then they can do some personal work on. Here's what we are doing in our ministry. We pray daily for God's presence and spirit and wisdom and agencies. We pray, I hope you're praying for this, that God will send his agencies to open avenues of communication, Mm -hmm. to open doors, to knock down barriers that the message of of God's kingdom of love can go forward. We pray for people, to bring people like you to this message, to to become workers in the field, to share it with others. We study God's word, searching for ever-increasing insight into his design and plans, and methods. And those involved in the ministry, we're giving of our time and resources to share these with others. Writing, speaking, designing materials, producing materials, as you know. You can see all the stuff out on our table. Here's for free for you all to take. DVD sets, books, study guides, web webcasts, blogs, video blogs, fundamental focus pamphlets. We support Health HeartWise Ministries and, and Heart of Health TV program. We support the building of a bakery in Uruguay to help young people get a Christian education, reaching out to connect with others in our community through things like JFest and Riverbend Faith and Family Night and American Association and Christian Counselors uh, Convention and other such such things. Um, Seminars. I was at Rolling Hills Church out in um, Los Angeles last week. Wonderful group of people who About a year ago, an individual or two started listening to us online and shared with some others and shared with some others, and pretty soon, many people were watching and and then invited me out, and we had a fantastic time, and they were so moved by this picture of God that their board voted to send our ministry a check for $1,000 to support what we're doing. And uh, later in this year, I'll be doing some programs in Germany, Singapore, and Australia before the year's out. By the end of this year, let me tell you what what, what our ministry has done so far. By the end of this year, um, we will have distributed, not just to random people, but to people who have chosen to receive the materials, over 17,000 DVD sets, over 20,000 Bible study guides, over 11,000, could it be this simple, over 10,000 fundamental focus plus all the free downloads and stuff we can't count because it's just too many to keep track of. And we currently have people who follow what we're doing and are, and are sharing this in their community in Australia, South Africa, Germany, Sweden, Iceland, Japan, Philippines, Zimbabwe, Singapore, Saudi Arabia, United Kingdom, Canada, and most of the states. This message, this is the final message, and, it's, and, it's, and, and the Holy Spirit is working. Additionally, this perspective, what it gives it power? If you ever thought that final message to lighten the world for Christ's coming is a truth about God's character of love? It, it's got to have a, a, a groundswell. It's got to be able to transcend. Is, is the final message about making everybody join a particular denomination? No, it's not. And this message is transcending that. We, we now have people that are sharing this same perspective and using our materials from the Seventh-day Adventist Church Baptists, Methodists, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, and non-denominational community churches all have been requesting our materials and using our materials. And
2: Amen.
0: Isn't this fantastic? Because this message is not about a denomination. It's about God. Amen. About His design, about His plan, about His methods to heal and restore. And it actually transforms lives here and now. So I wanted to share with you some, just a couple of the emails, a few of the emails I've received. And I've received lots of them, I've got a whole file of them, um, from people around the circle. It says, thank you for coming to Salt Lake City. I've been watching your class and have listened to your seminars online, which are incredibly helpful in understanding more and more about God's love and his amazing handiwork. Your presentations were so helpful, full of practical information. I am blessed and sincerely grateful for your time, effort, and compassion towards others for understanding truth about God and his design for man. Like many others, I have struggled so long with some of the issues you discuss, and by God's grace, he has shown me that I, we all, are fearfully and wonderfully made. With the knowledge you've shared, I am better equipped to grow, better continue, I'm better equipped to continue growing forever in Christ. This is another one. Kindly note that your approach to the gospel has revolutionized my relationship with God. I have experienced tremendous spiritual growth as I begin to relate with this awesome, loving God, whose character over the centuries has been del- deliberately distorted by the father of lies, so as to cut us away from experience and love of God, that, that, so so right, so right. Uh, I would love for you to send me uh, the Healing of the Mind DVDs. I have been giving out about. I've given about a hundred discs with his, with the MP3s to, uh, to so many, and so many have been blessed, including me. It took mere years for. Me For me to get over mental and physical abuse from my childhood, and that only happened because I was always loved to read almost everything I found. But had I had the information in Dr. Jennings' presentation, oh, it would have been so much easier and quicker. There was one lady this, uh, that started attending our church some time ago. When she talked to anyone, she mostly looked at her feet and spoke shyly, hesitantly, insecure, stuttering. One day she opened up to me about her childhood. She was severely abused as a child. Immediately, I told her she needed to listen to the Healing the Mind seminar. The very next weekend, she came to church, actually looked at me, and thanked me profusely over and over again. And every time I saw her for two weeks, I had to keep telling her to not thank me anymore. (laughs) What an amazing change. She was a couple of inches taller because the slump in her shoulders was gone. Her marriage improved immensely. She would deal with difficult she would deal with the difficulties of it. She went back to work, etc., etc. One more email. My husband and I have been listening to your Bible study lessons for, uh, for the quarter for, from our home in Indiana. What well, you have been presenting about the imposed law construct and the natural law construct, and thus God's true character, has been revolutionary to our faith. We are still trying to work out all the questions so that the natural construct makes perfect sense in accordance with Scripture. And then... This next one was posted on a person's Facebook page. They just put it right on their Facebook page. This is the last one. Over the last few months, I've had a lot of time to sit and contemplate. Why am I here, slowly wasting away with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease? Without my wife, what did I do wrong? Was I a bad person? Was I too selfish? I felt there were probably a thousand reasons why, but what were they? She had said more than once that there were many roads taken and reasons for why we were where we were. I wanted to self-reflect and really think and get down to the very depths of my soul and figure out what went wrong. What could I have done different? Somewhere during my soul-searching, my sister, who was also going through a divorce, was watching a DVD of a presentation by a psychiatrist, so I sat down to learn what I could and apply it to my situation. The psychiatrist's name was Dr. Jennings, and I... As I listened to him, I was drawn in by the, his plain and to the point approach. He presented a very inarticulate arti- uh, an manner and was easy to understand. I listened to his words intently, but it was soon over. And I, as I come in on the, t- on the tail of it. I asked my sister about more of it, and she informed me that he was coming to Claiborne Church for a weekend seminar in February and had a book called Could It Be This Simple? Well, I attended the seminar every minute of it. I listened to the audio book three times and then bought the Kindle version. And as soon as the Kindle version of the newest book, The God-Shaped Brain, came available, I read that. Altogether, I gathered the information I needed to find the answers I was looking for in the depth of my soul. What I found is this, that by having a misguided view of God, and not aligning myself with his universal laws of love and liberty, I have made many errors in my selfish nature throughout my life, doing things and saying things that seemed right to me, but weren't. I take full responsibility for that. Two things are for sure. I'm eternally grateful to have a creator who that has no limits on what he will forgive in me. And I'm grateful to have a family, especially my sister and daughters, that continue to support me. But I learned so much more that my view on the character of god is skewed and that my view on god's law is just wrong as new light was thinking into my heart my heart was uplifted i encourage everyone to read the, read the, these books they have cleared so many they've cleared up so many issues for me no longer will i argue on the side or that side of god's law no longer will i look at another as a who has a different sin as mine with a critical eye All of Jesus' teachings make sense to me now, as does the Old Testament. I wish I was good enough with words to explain it, but the books do it better than I could. It it is worth the time invested to see the light that I have seen. It has changed my life, and my soul is rejoicing. That is what the truth about God actually does. It restores trust and results in real transformation here and now. I share this message because this message changed me. I'm wondering if anybody in here might want to share how the change in perspective has affected their life. Change in perspective on God's character. Does anybody want to take a moment and share how your life has been impacted? Yeah, go ahead. I went through a huge financial change.
3: At the same time, I was hearing more about God's love for me, and how he loved me just as much as he loved David and Billy Grant. And even though financially it was a disaster, I'm happier now than I was then because of other gifts that God gave me, like a five-year-old grandson. So you, it just depends on how you perceive it and your perspective. it. So
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for that. Way in the back. Yes. Carla.
2: One of our online listeners says, last fall I was hopeless and then I found this ministry and now I'm a different person.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And this isn't about any person in this ministry. This is all about God. I want to make that very clear. The, the reason this message changes people is because we point people to God, his method, his design, his character.
2: Tim, I work as a physical therapist locally, and I've struggled with, with this, you know, with the whole... You, you'll talk to people, and they'll talk about how, um, you know, God hasn't let them have a baby, or God has slowed them down by... Um, you know, inflicting this medical illness or this medical condition on them, or this physical disability, and I had I had always really struggled with that and known what to say, um, and also with how to talk about it and not be preaching in a um, medical situation. And I think that this class has given me insights and and a different perspective in in addressing those issues. I had a patient yesterday who's a diabetic and an amputee and struggling with other issues and talking about how um, she felt that um, these medical issues had come about as a result of God wanting to slow her down and focus on him. And I, I think that he really gave me the... That the strength, and this class gave me the insight to say, well, I don't believe that a God of love would do that to you. I think we live in a sinful world, and as a result of sin and disease, things that Satan would love to blame God for, um, certain things are a natural result of that. And that God tells us, and we can be assured that, no matter what we go through in this life, He'll go through it with us. You know, I think that as a society and pop music and all kinds of things, you know, we'll say, oh, well, you know, I'll go through anything with that person. You know, I'll go to hell for that person or whatever. But we know that the disciples had every intention of going through, through everything Christ had to go through, but yet they couldn't. Right. And they didn't. And nobody on this earth can go through things with us but God.
0: Well said. Thank you so much for that. Did you notice what was pointed out there and have you experienced yourself that when we sometimes experience adversity in this world, say sickness, illness, infertility, whatever, that too often a distorted view of God piles a new burden on that God is doing this to me. Not only do I have the illness to deal with, I'm not comforted by God's presence. He's the one doing this to me. So to, to be relieved of that burden lifts the heart. Even though you still have the physical illness, you, the, 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 the heart can be at peace with God knowing he's not doing this to you. He's got a plan to heal and restore you. Yes, Russell.
3: You and I have talked at length about this. Probably the greatest thing that has changed in my life is the elimination of fear. We, we were raised in, a, in, a, in same, some of the same churches, went to the same school systems, and it was, it was a fear-based God construct. And the elimination of the fear about the future, about our own condition, the fear about the fear of everything is, is significantly diminished. And it's, this is the piece that Scripture talks about that passes any understanding.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. I agree. I, I, we went to the same schools and yeah. experienced the same things. And I, too, uh, used to live in a lot of fear. A lot of fear. Fear of facing those records one day. Right. Yes.
1: I think it's Satan's ultimate goal to destroy the love of God.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. What yes.
1: It works on yes.
3: everyone.
0: Yes, over here.
3: I was just thinking uh, scriptures, bible texts, you know, different different things that you read in the Bible, they actually make more sense now because I mean, you know, where you might think, oh, this conflicts with this, now it's like it all makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you don't have that imposed view, you don't have God inflicting all this harm. He's always working to heal. Yes.
1: You know, I used to um, relate to God out of a significant amount of fear, um, even though you know I felt like I had a relationship with him it was it was definitely more challenging. And like Russell said, that fear is gone, and not only that, but a love for studying and an openness to ask questions and the freedom to do so um, has has just changed how i how I live, how I think how I approach God's Word.
0: Thank you so much, Eve. Thank you.
1: Yes? In the
3: Ten Commandments, uh, there's a lot of thou shalt not. Mm-hmm. Jesus' recapitulation is love God, love your neighbor. And there's no don'ts.
0: Yeah. And, and one way to look at the Ten Commandments, if you notice how they start, the first thing in the Ten is, "This is, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. And so there's delivery followed by that thou shalt not, and so some can look at the ten which historically they do as an imposed set of rules these are the ten these are the ten things you can't do right? rather than these are the ten promises that. Because I delivered you, if you trust me, I will change you. And when you trust me, you won't have—you will not have any other gods before me. You won't take my name in vain. You uh, you won't—you know—you will remember this. Happen. These are all promises of what we will look like when He writes His law in our hearts and minds, rather than a set of imposed rules we have to fight to keep. And, and and of course, the law is to be written on the heart and mind, isn't it? Yeah, way in the back.
2: One of our online listeners asked, is being financially bankrupt is caused by being by committing the unpardonable sin?
0: I personally see no linkage between those two in what in any shape form or fashion. I don't see their connection at all, so they're not causative if I'm understanding the question correctly any did I misunderstand the question or you all agree with that okay. So, no, I would say no. Yes.
1: Any more than the gospel of prosperity means you're blessed. But in any event, where I was going to go with, with your previous question, what has meant the world to me has been looking at the crucifixion and being able to explain to people what the crucifixion is really about the full demonstration of God's unselfish love and the full demonstration of Satan's corrupt and destroying view of, of God and of life in general. Rather than the, you know, good cop, bad cop, Jesus is dying to appease uh, an angry God for you. He is giving everything to show you you could trust him.
0: Go ahead.
3: I was just wondering if you would address the point uh, that in, in the uh, natural law of view, clearly God does not, and with God's character of life, he does not inflict any suffering on us. Clearly in this world of sin... He has allowed suffering to come upon us. Can you address sort of a resolution of that?
0: As to why he would allow it? Yes. I, what,
3: it's a broad subject, I realize.
0: What is his option to not allow suffering? To run through the options for me. What,
3: not have love, not have freedom of choice.
0: In the, to make us robotic, yeah. to make us puppets. So, for instance, the, the young person killed by the drunk driver. Yeah. What does God suspend the law, laws of physics? Does he prevent the drunk driver from experiencing the effects of alcohol on his central nervous system, so he doesn't get impaired, um, uh, you know, eye-hand co- coordination? Does he um, uh, prevent the, the the drunk driver from from purchasing the alcohol? Does he prevent the bartender from send, selling the alcohol to them? I mean, where does he intervene? And you notice all these interventions are interventions against free will. And this is why Christ said, "Don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body, but cannot destroy the soul." Soul, Greek word is psyche, individuality mind. The person killed in the car wreck can, is only their body is destroyed. Their individuality is not destroyed. What destroys the individuality is our purposeful participation in principles out of harmony with God's design that sear the conscience, warp the character, destroy the, destroy the inner man. We destroy our own souls by participating in evil. And so ultimately, there's coming a day when he will restore his universe back into perfect harmony with him and the person innocently killed in the car wreck will be resurrected to eternal life. And there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more disease. So how does he resolve it? He resolves that under the umbrella he's in har- he always operates in harmony with his own nature. His nature is love. Love cannot exist in an atmosphere without freedom. Now he has the power to create a robotic, artificial environment where he programs everything like you program your computer. But the moment he does that, that environment is not love, and if that's the way he actually creates the universe, then he's not love. So I don't find a tension there at all, personally. So thank you for bringing that up. Yes, in the back.
3: How does that reconcile with where the Bible says, no weapon formed against thee shall stand, and people taking that into meaning... Well, at the end of time we're going to have guns trained on us, people are going to try and uh, shoot us and their guns won't work and that type of stuff.
0: Well, I, can you give me the text on so no weapon trained upon you will withstand? I don't I really don't remember. I that. don't I don't remember that one off the top of my head either, but but I would take it to more of a eternal perspective than a physical perspective. Um, the uh, the apostles, for instance, were 11 of them were martyred. <laughs> Uh, and so the physical weapons hurt their physical body, but it won't stand. And the reason it won't stand is because they're going to be resurrection and resurrection of life. And the uh, intent of the evil behind them was not to simply put them in the grave for a period of time; it was to destroy them for eternity. And it won't stand. They can't. We cannot be destroyed for eternity without our choice. We have to choose that destruction.
3: In your book, you describes death as sleeping. Yes. And as a scientist, you know, cold is actually the lack of heat. Maybe death, true death, is the lack of God.
0: Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. Life eternal is knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who now sent. So eternal death would be not knowing him or being completely severed or separated from him. Absolutely, he's the source of life, so I think you're exactly right. Death is a complete severing from God, and no one can take you out of my hand, Christ said. No one we can't be separated from him our bodies can be destroyed but the spirit returns to God who gave it we're not separated from him yes Ken
3: occasionally when we come to truth that uh, seems really new and, and wonderful uh, due to the perversity of human nature we find a way to sabotage it you know <laughs> and and so I think that's what makes Really embracing something like the healing concept of salvation is so important. It's not a repentance that you can repent of without really getting yourself in trouble. You can have second thoughts about going up to the altar because you were afraid of God. But if you're afraid of healing, then you just have to look deeper and dig deeper.
0: We, we, I'm going to have to jump ahead now, because look at what time it is. We only got like seven minutes left. How's the time gone by so fast? So uh, I was going to read a section out of, uh, of Revelation, but we're going to have to, to have you read that on your own. We're going to jump up to Tuesday's lesson and look to Tuesday's lesson, first paragraph. It says There's a gap between what Laodicea says and does. And I was going to have us read in Revelation 3 about the Laodicean church. You're probably familiar with that, but maybe would review that on your own time. What Laodicea says and does, remember, they say they're rich and, and full of all this goodness, but they're really miserable, poor, and blind, naked, and so forth. Uh, there is an even greater gap between the spiritual experience that Laodicea thinks she has and what she actually does have. This is well said, that's right. And, and Laodicea, prophetically is speaking, about what time in earth history? <laughs> Our time. This is, this is Christianity today. This is Christianity today. So, how would you describe the gap? Well, how about some things like this? Christians' homes have the same rate of domestic violence as non-Christian homes. But they claim they're righteous, full of goodness. They don't need anything. But you don't have any greater security, if you're a woman, of not being beaten, if you marry a Christian man, if you marry a worldly man. And there's something wrong with that? And if you're a man, you're marrying a Christian woman, the stats are you actually have four to five times the likelihood of getting beaten by your, your wife if you marry a Christian wife than if you marry a worldly wife. <laughs> now, the rates are still significantly less for the men than the women, but again, if you just compare the two homes, Christian women beat their wives more than, Christ- than non-Christian women. <laughs> And then the men, it's, it's the same either way. How about, how about the history of Catholic and Protestant violence? Most recently, up to 12 years ago, and in Northern Ireland, people killing each other you know, based on religion, chastising and censoring people who go through marital difficulties and divorce uh, rather than encouraging and, and ministering to. Spreading rumors about people in the church. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what contributes to the gap? between what Laodicea does and what Laodicea uh, says about themselves or thinks about themselves. Could it be holding to a misdiagnosis? For instance, if one believes they have a certain condition and therefore they take a remedy for the condition which they believe they have, but they actually have another condition, will the remedy help them? But might they have a sense of false confidence that everything's fine with them. But they believe everything's okay because they're taking the remedy for the condition which they believe they have. It's a false diagnosis. Well, let me give you an example. Consider a child whose parent tells them not to eat berries on the bushes outside the house. The child is told if they do eat the berries they're going to get spanked because the parents really want to in- ensure the child takes this very seriously. The child disobeys and eats the berries. Sometime later, father sees the child with berry juice on their clothes and face. And ask the child if they ate the berries. What will the child think is the problem? Come on. What will the child think is the problem?
1: The father.
0: father. I disobey daddy. I disobey daddy. What will the child desire from the parent in this state of, shall we say, condemnation? They will want forgiveness, won't they? Daddy, forgive me. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Daddy. But what if the berries were poison? Will the child, having Daddy, we forgive me, and the, and the child, and the father says, "Of course, I forgive you." Now, is the child going to feel better? They are going to feel emotionally better, aren't they? Okay. But is their situation improved? So, this—what's the real problem? That daddy wasn't forgiving? Or that the child's in a, in a very serious risk of, of, of dying from these poisoned berries? Uh, if the fa- was the problem that the father was going to now kill the child? Was that the problem? Need to get dad's forgiveness because I ate those berries, they're going to kill me now. How many think, ate the fruit in the garden? Fruit, berries, okay. Ate the fruit in the garden, God's going to kill me now. How about... What was the father's attitude toward the child when the father discovered the child ate the berries? Walk through it, parents. What would your attitude be? Might you have ever set a rule like this with a young child if there were poison berries around? Might you have ever done that? And if the child did eat the berries, what's your attitude? Might the father actually be upset, even angry? Why is the father angry, though? Does the distress of the father ever lead to the father's desire to want to kill the child? Ever. Never. Yes, we can see that God is angry and upset. Why? His beautiful creation is being destroyed. That which he loves is being damaged, and it angers him. Is he ever wanting to kill his children? Never. Never.
1: I think the parent is fearful of losing
0: their child. Fearful of losing their child, too. You think God is, is fearful of losing some of us in that way? Yeah. What does the child actually need? More than reassurance, yeah? After, after the berries have been eaten, what's the child need? Remedy. Remedy. The child needs remedy. If the father has the ability to remedy the child, will he? Yes, he will. Even if the how about if the child how about if the child is, is distrustful and afraid and, 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 and here's daddy calling and they, and they realize I they got berry juice on him might the child go right to daddy or go and hide? Okay. How many of us have been hiding from God? Because we've been told we've got this idea if he finds us he'll punish us he's got, he can't tolerate the look of sin he's got to he's got to lash out so how many instead the, 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 the child with their berries finds their, their older brother and says, hey, go delay dad, get, get between us, intervene, intervene. Uh, hey, do you have some clothes I can wear and cover myself up? <laughs> you following the metaphors here we teach in Christianity? Jesus is hiding us, delaying the father, covering us in his clothes. Does this explain the gap at all between Laodicea thinks So the little kid now has his brother's clothes on and he goes in front of his daddy. No berry stains now on the clothes. He might feel much more confident now, right? Guess what? Still dying. And that's why being covered in the robe of Christ's righteousness is not a covering over. It's a transformation within when the heart comes into unity with his heart, when the mind is aligned with his, when the motives are new motives, when we live his life, this is what it means to be covered in the robe of righteousness. We become partakers of the divine nature. The law is written on the heart and mind. It is actual, literal, transformational, regenerational, renewal, here and now of the heart motives, the thoughts, the desires, the secrets of the heart are, are cleansed and renewed. We are rebuilt from the inside out. That's what it means to be covered with the robe of his righteousness. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have brought us the truth about your kingdom. How beautiful you are, Lord. How beautiful you are. and beautiful your kingdom. And, and Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you didn't think equality with, with the Father was, was worth holding on to but loved us so much that you came and surrendered all that you had in order to procure remedy for us. To bring us the truth about you, your Father, to bring transformation, transforming power to us. And we thank you that you are in heaven now, directing all the agencies at the divine arsenal for our good, for our welfare, and for our healing. We pray that your spirit we poured out into our hearts and minds, take all that you've achieved and reproduce it within us. So that it won't be our fear-based, self-centered-based, selves living, but it will be a love-based, truth-based Jesus Christ living within. We pray in your holy name. Amen.